nobody there It seems I'm all alone again Does anybody care? This planet's empty I see no signs of life Please don't tell me that the human race Did not survive There are no people in the future There are no people There are no people in the future No people at all There are no people in the future Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future Let me try my people call Hey everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. It is Monday, June 26, 2023. Welcome to Raging Chickens, Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards and across the country. You can also join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast at Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And you can support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. And look, you want to help out the show right now? Get on over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time we go live. Like, and if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on and leave a comment to let other folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help other people find the show. For more PA Progressive Talk, tune to The Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, or Facebook. And subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Check out thericksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you've got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast. Rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast at Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by... Yours truly. Ooh, gotta like that. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on the right-wing extremist current streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. Check them out directly at buckscountybeacon.podbean.com or pick up the podcast, The Signal, wherever you get your podcast. For all you gamers out there, The Game In, that's with two ends. The Game In is a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show. They've got everything from Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, <sighs> collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. Yes, and you know, there's a great place all around, so go check them out. Check out their Facebook page, follow them on Twitter at The Game In, that's the two ends. Got a question about a game, looking for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. Special shout out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Day Man. Two ends at Song of Day Man on Twitter. And look, folks, we can't let Paul Martino, Moms for Liberty, and their oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to launch a truly community rooted PAC to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. 
We're putting small dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Well, on today's show, yep, I welcome Chris O'Leary back to the show. Chris covers extremism and social justice for the USA Today Network of Pennsylvania and for the Bucks County Courier Times. We'll be talking about his new investigative piece, Emails Show How Religious Liberties Law Firm Has Influenced Bucks and York Schools. This article is part of an ongoing investigation by Chris and investigative journalist Bethany Rogers from the USA Today Network's PA Capital Bureau. Their investigations have helped expose how a deep-pocketed religious law firm is working with right-wing school boards across Pennsylvania to change policies and sow division. Chris has been a reporter with the Bucks County Courier Times since 2015, covering municipal government, infrastructure, and the Central Bucks School District, which we'll be talking about tonight, ironically, or not so ironically. His mostly self-taught skills in the Python commuter programming language have helped him flesh out and analyze years of voter registration data, track COVID-19 cases at the start of the pandemic in 2020, and build a 10-year database of 9-11 call logs in Bucks County. In addition to using his programming expert experience to track extremist movements, he will work with local newsrooms, the USA Today Network, to help tell stories by the numbers. Chris graduated from Frostburg State University in 2014 with a BS in English, major in literature, minor in journalism, near his hometown of Cumberland, Maryland. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, man, it's so great to have you back on the show. Um, and like just so everybody knows in tonight's show notes, if you want to kind of check in with Chris, there'll be links to this article, uh, links to the previous article, which we had him on talking about. And if you want to follow Chris on Twitter, you can do so at at Ullery at Intel. Um, check out all his great stuff. So, Chris, uh, this is uh, part two, I guess, of an ongoing series. Uh, well, actually, I mean, if you want to, there's a kind of you had porting, reporting that came out even before the right to know request come out. You've been tracking some of this stuff um, that, that looking at the influence of some of these outside organizations that have had on the Bucks County School District and beyond. We've already got a bunch of folks uh, kind of like in tonight. Hey, Darren. Hey, Jordan. Hey, Marta. Um, kind of in here to check things out. Um, got folks from York and kind of Bucks County on here tonight um, because of the direct impact of your reporting is helping us all understand what's going on. So let me, let's maybe kind of, before we jump into this specific article, maybe you could kind of set the table for us a little bit about um, kind of where the reporting come. Maybe if people didn't catch the first round of reporting, but how did you get to this point that you were kind of looking at all this information and all these emails uh, about what's happening behind the scenes in these school boards. Well, uh, I guess it officially kind of started in uh, in January of this year uh, after I was uh, leaked copies of uh, an administrative regulation for uh, controversial library policy in Central Bucks. Uh, that document, uh, the the metadata that contains information on like the author and when it was created, uh, led me to. Uh, identify an attorney with the Independence Law Center, uh, which then we learned after a couple of weeks of, of trying to get some answers on it, uh, that, you know, it was in fact the regulations they were using. At some point, ILC had been brought in. Uh, and then around that same time, uh, we'd heard that uh, Pencrest School District uh, over in Crawford County on the other side of the state uh, had implemented a uh, an athletics policy and a library book policy. Library book policy, very similar to Central Bucks, uh, and then 
apparently their solicitor who had advised against passing this policy, he quit. Uh, we'd heard that ILC might be coming in, so we put in a right-to-know request. But Bethany uh, actually suggests we put in a right-to-know request. Um, that's where we got a couple of emails that showed one of the board members in, uh, in Pencrest had reached out to ILC or had some sort of communication going. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we realized that, you know, this this group is really sort of operating outside of the public view for the most part. Uh, you might find in like Hempfield School District, they, you know, the board announced that they were going to hire them and, and work with them on their athletics policy. But, you know, it's really what we found so far was very much after the fact, that's when we learned they were involved. So uh, Bethany and I started to fill out right to no requests. Uh, we built sort of a list of uh, school districts where we saw uh, things like um, like Pen America and the American Library Association's list of challenge books throughout the state. Uh, we we're looking for any any type of news about locker rooms or bathrooms in certain school districts. And we sent out right to know requests to, uh, I think it was a little over 30 districts across the state. Um, probably a, about a dozen of them had some kind of documentation uh, that came back to us. Uh, and that was, that led us to our story in April where we found, you know, in Bucks County, uh, ILC was involved in drafting numerous policies in Penridge School District in Upper Bucks County. Um, we found more information about uh, uh, in East Lancaster County School District. Uh, it was a couple years back, but they were directly involved in, in this locker room policy. And there were some you know reports of they might have even helped sort of move it along behind the scenes a little bit more than what was you know initially reported <coughs> excuse me and uh you know we we're just we we're finding at least a handful of districts we had this this force that was pushing sort of this culture war agenda mm-hmm. i guess in in these school districts um and one of the requests that we had uh was two central bucks because we already knew they were in there um, but we we wanted to know more about what was being said, uh, what was being done at that time, and we got back uh, an appeal, or excuse me, they denied our request on the grounds of attorney-client privilege. Uh, and this by this time we're getting pretty close to whenever our story was going live in April, so we we laid out what we had there at the time, which was you know we're appealing this denial. There are 17 emails that we know about that took place in November, and we just don't know exactly what was going on, but we'll come back to this later. Uh, so the story that ran this week is later. It's like, welcome to later. Yes. We, <laughs> right. <laughs> we finally got our, our emails, um, and they showed us um, a lot more than we were expecting. Um for one really oh yeah yeah um so i guess to really feel the the weight of what we found i think i need to back up to november of 2022 uh in the moment so november 2022 we're already now several months after the library policy where you know there was a lot of concern that would lead to widespread banning of lgbtq plus related books or books on racism anti-racism uh, one of the things that was said at the time was that, you know, we have the policy, but we need to build the administrative regulations before it will be implemented. Therefore, the policy, while it's approved in July, not actually enforced yet. And things kind of 
hovered around there, that uncertainty for a long time. Uh, and we get into November, or excuse me, we get into October. That's whenever the ACLU brings up its 72-page complaint filed on behalf of seven students with the OCR. Uh, so now we've got this alleged toxic environment uh, for LGBTQ students and staff and allies. Uh, and then we get to November 14th, was a Monday, and we get notification from the district that at the following day's board meeting, we're going to hear a vote on hiring Dwayne Morris to, you know, to um, represent the district during this, this OCR complaint and do their own internal investigation. The following day, after that vote, after Tuesday's vote, we move on to Wednesday. They voted six to three to hire Dwayne Morris. Most of their votes are six to three. That's the split of the board. That's how it works. <laughs> so we get to no, uh, we get to November sixteenth, uh, that Wednesday. Uh, so Central Bucks has most of its policy committee meetings the day after uh, a board meeting. Uh, so we get to our policy committee meeting and. On the agenda, there is an item for receipt of Title IX information. And what that turns out to be is a presentation by a Dr. Greg Brown of uh, the University of Nebraska. Um, thing about his presentation is that, and I've gone through, I've transcribed the, the whole thing from the recording. Title IX is not mentioned by him anywhere in that. Uh, the only reference I can find is after his presentation, one of the board members referenced Title IX. Uh, but his whole presentation is about why, especially for girls' teams, why trans athletes should not be playing on any team but the one of their either their sex assigned at birth or a team of their own, the team of just trans athletes. So kind of came out of the blue because in my years of covering the district, I had never really heard of anybody talking about a, an athletics bill. This was really just a, you know, it was fairness in women's sports bill at the state level. And that's really all we heard about it. Uh, so a couple weeks later, I get leaked this document of the administrative regulations. And as I'm looking up stuff on ILC, I find that there's a press release on the Pennsylvania Family Institute, which is like the parent organization that is about the Fairness of Women's Sports Act, the, this hearing that was held last August, or the August before that, I mean, uh, where Dr. Greg Brown was there. The one, and the only. That's what they focused on. So I, I, my hypothesis was Dr. Brown was there because of the ILC. And that's what these emails show. That is what happened. On November 3rd, uh, Jeremy Samick, sent, uh, Jeremy Samick's attorney with the ILC, had sent over the... Uh, 109.2, the library regulation, administrative regulations. And then he sent the following couple of hours, maybe, sent another email that was a, uh, it, it was a legal opinion, and it had to do with policy 321. That was, at that time, a policy that hadn't been passed yet, but that was the one that would restrict uh, political symbols, as the district called them, which includes pride flags, and as the district would say, includes Trump flags as well. Uh, in any political discussion in classrooms. Uh, the day after that, November 4th, Michael Rinaldi from Dwayne Morris sends Dana Hunter, school board president Dana Hunter, an email that says, I've touched base with Jeremy Samick. He has an expert to talk to you at the November 16th meeting. And that's where the ball starts rolling. We have, 
and you know, keep in mind now, the at the board, what we were told back in January, as far as ILC is concerned, is that at the board's suggestion, ILC was brought in to review the library regulations. They've already done that now. Mm-hmm. We get a few days of not much until I think it was November 10th. We get sort of a whirlwind of emails coming through. Uh, one of them, Samick sends. He introduces Dr. Brown to Superintendent Lukabaugh and Dana Hunter officially. Uh, they have exchanged some pleasantries. After that, Samick sends over a, an agreement of services, uh, pro bono services. ILC always offers their services for free. I wanted to make sure we hit on that point because yeah. this is that's a really key aspect yeah. of all this about why is it that this is so easy and why are they offering all this stuff? Great. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, they send this agreement of services. Second paragraph of the agreement of services says that, you know, ILC will continue to offer more information, you know, more advice on different policies and will also work with outside counsel, quote, outside counsel on three OCR complaints, on the three OCR complaints, I think what it was. And to me, that is striking because, Keep in mind, we are now four days before the public is notified that there is going to be a vote to hire Dwayne Morris, but the agreement seems to imply that an outside counsel will take care of the complaint. You know, the district has a solicitor of its own. Seems a bit odd to me is all. Uh, So he sends over that agreement of services. Shortly after that, he also sends over a copy of the uh, athletics policy that ILC developed with Hempfield School District, uh, draft administrative regulations, and even a version that basically takes out anything for Hempfield and puts it for central bucks. So we are now seven days out from whenever the first real introduction was made, the first contact, and going from starting with an, an introduction from library policies now the district has a, a new uh, athletics policy, an expert to testify, as they put it, to its, nece- to its necessity, and possibly two law firms willing to defend its implementation. That's to me, is manufacturing an issue within a district. It was done without any public involvement. And to me, what's even worse is that it continued to be done without public involvement. While we knew about Dwayne Morris, while that was revealed, back in January, my question to the district was, what is the extent of ILC's involvement in Central Bucks? And the public statement that was released, not a reply to me, but a public statement that was released, said, basically, we've brought them on to look at the library regulations. That might be, in the strictest sense, true, but that was not the extent of their relationship. And it was very clear by that point. Well, and this is remarkable because basically what, what you've just laid out there, and this is what, I mean, this, why this reporting is so critical. What you just laid out there is like, look, you could have a school board that might come up with, might have really extreme positions on something. Right. And so they have to go, but then if it's just a local school board, then they would have to work out all the logistics of everything that you just described and figure out how you would actually enact this kind of stuff which would take months, right? If not years, right? In this case, you have the introduction of the ILC, right? And then you have, oh, by the way, within a very short period of time, 
here's the entire infrastructure that you'll need all prepackaged and ready made to move that forward. Yeah. Right. And just so happens that it's not going to cost you very much either. How about that? Yeah. And I, I think the thing to, that I, I think is really important to, to emphasize here and sort of also to the point that uh, uh, Joe Gaeta, I hope I pronounced that right, um, uh, from Democracy Forward uh, discusses, we went into Central York. Um, you know, the, the issue here is not so much that they got advice from a certain organization. Because let's be clear, that's that's perfectly fine, yes. perfectly legal for any school board to do. Yes, that is fine. The problem comes in one, the transparency. That's probably param more paramount than anything. Um, but also from other conversations I've I've had with some uh, legal experts, uh, you know, the the issue comes down to what you know who who is liable, who becomes responsible for steps that the district takes. If the district is, say, has a solicitor and it listens to another attorney, <laughs> then I think the public has a right to ask, well, why are you not listening to the solicitor that we have? And right. why are you, you know, why are you taking this advice? Why did we develop a policy from this other law firm? It, it There's just so many transparency questions that come up that. Well, and let's, let's be clear about that. Yeah, let's be clear about the transparency thing, too, as well, because it's not simply like transparency as a moral question. Right. But it's also you're talking about school boards who are like like in, in a fiduciary relationship with taxpayers and district members. Right. So it's not as if they're like a private corporation that, you know, is just not being transparent, but they're an actual organization which is charged to oversee part of, say, a, a a public infrastructure, in this case, school boards. Right. right. So that becomes like, you know, that becomes both a legal question and also a question of a misuse or, you know, or, you know, like you said, a shadowy use at, at the very least of um, uh, of the district money and resources. Right. And, I, and I, I, that's the part that I kind of found fascinating, both what happens in Central uh, Central Bucks, but then also what happens in York is because there's also these like these pockets of who's in the know and who's not in the know. Right. right? Yeah. And in Central York, that was that was especially interesting. Um, is Democracy Forward, you know, they had apparently they had heard some concerns. Uh, I believe it was parts, at least partially based on our reporting. Um, and the parents out there, at least that uh, Democracy Forward was aware of, they weren't expecting to to actually find anything really. I mean, they you know because there's nothing public about it, and I guess for whatever reason they didn't expect it, and the relationship between the superintendent, uh, uh, Peter Aiken and Jeremy Samick, you know, they've known, they've known each other since grade school, apparently, uh, you know, that was unknown. The fact that they, he had gotten that Aiken had gotten some advice from ILC was unknown, but also what's so striking to me is that this is also the first instance where we don't seem to have a school board involved at this point, which, you know, it, at the end of the day, that could actually be, pretty good for the district uh you know that the school board member the elected officials weren't involved in, in anything but at this you know the other end it just goes back to okay well how much of the administrative side was influenced by ilc then and you know and, and i think um as gaeta pointed out uh, in our story here you know the, the issue is it comes up to what happens if you pass a policy that gets the school district sued 
Right. That's your response. That's you have to explain that to taxpayers. And if you could have months ago said, we're thinking of, we're, we're looking at this advice from this group and another attorney or the public had chimed in and said, are you crazy? Don't do that. And then you say, Oh, okay, never mind. We're not going to do that. Then, you know, you, you've lost that opportunity to, to have the public weigh in that could avert that potential issue. It's just, it's, it's, it's frustrating for, for a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah, no. And I think it's, I think it's just fascinating. I mean, kind of like you said, I mean, look, we could have, there might be serious and deep, like say, uh, political, social, moral reasons are not are not having advice from a particular law firm. But there's, there's no reason if that was, if you want to bring the ILC forward, right? Okay, bring it to the public, bring it to a meeting, say, hey, this is someone they've offered their, you know, services free of charge to all of us. Uh, we want to bring it to you to let you know we're going to bring them in. By the way, here's the materials about these people's background. Here's who the firm is so that you can review it. And then we can talk about that at the next board meeting because you've had ample time to discuss this about whether or not we should bring this forward and we'll be voting it at that time. I mean, that would be like the proper procedure, right, yeah. of, of being able to have the public publicly informed about it, having the time to consider it before decision is made yeah and i i think one thing I, I i was thinking about earlier today that kind of uh highlights the issue here is that um like for instance uh and in whenever i was a municipal government reporter in warrington uh township a few years back uh aqua pa a private utility wanted to buy the water system there yep. was this huge water contamination issue not just in warrington but other communities um, so Aqua PA went to the township and said, here's an offer. And what the township yep. did was we're going to take that. And now we're going to hold public meetings for like the next eight months. And we're going to discuss yep. this. And one of the things, uh, that I believe it was chairman at the time, Fred Gaines said was we don't have to do any of this. Like this is us letting the public know exactly what's going on. That's why it took eight months. They had they had numerous public meetings. They entertained other offers, all of this stuff. At at any point, any of these districts that we have talked about, any of the even in the individual board members, at any point in time, at any of these public meetings, have a chance to just simply say, "Oh, by the way, I talked to this group about this." Yep. Nobody did it. I, I saw a question in the chat about ask if the school district or board member commented. And I guess I just want to respond. I was to just that. about to ask you yeah. about this. Yeah. Go ahead. Every, <laughs> every meeting is an opportunity to comment and they, they, they often don't sometimes they often don't. Yeah. So let me ask you this too. Uh, Jordan too, as well, who wrote, wrote that question in chat too, as well. She also had a question about, you have any idea about why central bucks school district has taken down the record of, who has submitted right to know re information? I I have theories. I have opinions. <laughs> um, but I I will say I, I I don't think I should venture into into that land. I have not talked to the district about that. Mm -hmm. um, it is a it is as much a mystery as it is to me as everybody else. But. Um, well, it's just interesting because we had a similar issue uh, kind of in uh, in Penridge and only to find out that, you know, the requests are coming from like a couple of people. Yeah. <laughs> and some of them happen to be sitting on that board. So, you know, it's like yeah. one of those kind of things. But I think that's where the question is coming from, certainly. Yeah. 
So let me, I mean, well, before, before I move, I we kind of move on. Cause I'm, I'm, I want to highlight a couple of things, but before we kind of move on, is there kind of other aspects of this kind of story that you have out there that you think we haven't, we haven't covered yet? Cause I, I mean, I just think this is such an important move. And like, I, I have to say this too, as well as just kind of like commentary on the reporting that, that, um, that you're doing to see this unfold over time like this, I think is really important for the community as a whole. Um, I mean, because it's like, okay, we get an idea about, we get introduced to who these players are, who this ILC organization is, and some of the work that we're doing. But then to see the kind of like deeper levels of involvement um, and some of the ways in which this happened is so important. Because I think that, I mean, I think we talked about this a bit before um, when you were on the show the last time, is that, you know, I think most community members and parents were really taken off guard, right? And had to fight really hard to get up to speed on who these players are, what is happening and why it's happening um, and why it's happening so quickly. Because, And this is why I want to really emphasize that aspect of that you just talked about, of this, this ready-made infrastructure ready to go on this, because there's just not a whole lot of time to respond in the community um, if the, you know, if these policies are already backed by the machinery to get them passed in a quick fashion. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, that's, like I said, I, I think the transparency issue is, is paramount here, but also in, in that similar vein here, um, and to what Democracy Forward is also kind of focused on, because in Central York, you know, we don't have, we don't know the specific policies. We just know that these conversations took place. Uh, from their sworn affidavits. Um, I know that Title IX came up and my experience with ILC, if Title IX comes up, it's probably about locker rooms or it's about athletics policies, but I don't know yeah. for certain. Uh, how it, but you know it, the thing that is so important about what Democracy Forward did whenever they gave us these documents is that they allowed us to peek behind the curtain before a major policy shift in every other instance that we have, like with the Eastern Lancaster County, we, we actually kind of lucked out. Our records request was a period between January 1st, 2021 through whenever we put the request in. But the only reason we got what we got was because one of the attorneys with ILC had had to forward over um, emails that were sent, I think in 2020 or 2019 um, again in 2021. So we had those email chains and we got more information that way. We, we lucked out there, but you know, there's this huge gap of time often before we know what's going to happen or what, what between whenever we, we know that ILC was involved to whenever they actually began getting involved. And in central York, it's at least a little bit closer. And I think that the reason why I, I want to I focus on that is because I think that tells me something about the response to this is that people do care about this um, and they want to keep an eye on, on their districts. And I think that sort of the next, what I hope to be sort of the, the, the next influence of, of this story uh, or these stories is at least to get to a place where if a school district thinks they're going to work behind the scenes with a group like this, they should say, well, somebody's going to find out. So let's be upfront about this right now. Let's not get into that whole issue. 
Right. Well, here's a fascinating thing. And Darren just made this comment here to his parent in Penridge asked you the, at the board meeting at the last school board meeting. Um, uh, somebody asked them, hey, look, ha have you ever worked with the ILC? Right. This is right, be right before your piece dropped. And the chair responded, no comment. Right. Mm -hmm. And I find that fascinating for exactly what you just laid out there. Because if we know who these players are and we know to ask those questions now to to a school board, right, they have to make a decision, right? Those members of the school board have to make a decision on that moment, right? Mm -hmm. If they're if they say no, we haven't and they had, that's a lie, right? right. Um, and they can't do that. Or they could say, yes, we have. And then it's, you know, chaos ensues because why haven't we known about this before? Right. Or you have this kind of no comment, which, again, we don't know what that means exactly. Um, for all we know, this guy has no idea what the hell the ILC is. And so he's like, huh, <laughs> I'll yeah. just not comment on it. The guy hasn't said very much at any school board meeting. So that could that could be it. Um, but, you know, but I mean, there's a choice that has to be made now um, in terms of that pressure back from the community to ask the right questions of the school board, which seems to be like the value of, you know, seeing this reporting unfold. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think um, one of the the interesting thing about that, I, I saw that meeting where that question was asked. And the thing about it is that at the time that that question was asked, I had also already sent out an email asking that question to every board member. Uh, <laughs> and only only one responded. It wasn't the one that was asked that question. Uh, right. And I I don't know because I don't have it right in front of me at the moment, but um, I do believe that if you check out our previous story on the section on Penridge and in the documents that we embed there, I, I'm pretty sure that the name of the person who was asked that question was included in one of those emails. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think so too. I think, and I think Darren's like saying, "Yeah, this is uh, after the CBD uh, or the the Sutra Bucks article, but before the article um, involving Penridge, and then you had the reporting on it." Yeah, I I exactly remember that. Um, one other question: This is coming from Jordan again too, as well as um, this has been an increasing. You know, um, people have been paying attention to in the school boards too, as well. And of course, we've got this Mom for uh, for Liberty uh, summit coming up in Philadelphia at the end of the week. Um, and the question was if we have seen any of the kind of intersection or those connections between the ILC or the Moms for Liberty showing up in these documents as well. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, like well, I, I'm not. Well, you here, you can. Here's I'm the, just to answer the question. <laughs> this, this is the most difficult thing, and I, I've talked about this extensively with with Democracy Forward and uh, with several other organizations as I've been researching even beyond this of other projects I'm working on. The problem is that it is hard to link any one organization with the other. Um, now, for, as far as Moms for Liberty specifically, um, there is a direct link between PA Family, uh, the, excuse me, the PA Fam Family Institute and Moms for Liberty. Uh, one of the board members on their website uh, is a chapter head of the Dauphin County Moms for Liberty. And it it seems like the, the safest way to go is that there are so many overlapping interests that if they are not working in tandem as a matter of, of practice or policy, they are, you know, they're traveling down the roads, the same roads. Right. <laughs> And they're they're going to get to the same to the same destination together, I think. Uh, but but it is difficult. I uh, I know that um, you know even 
uh, the ILC and uh, Pennsylvania Family Institute take issue with uh, being tied to the Family Research Council, yep. uh, despite, you know, there's been references uh, that PA Family has made to the Family Research Council as its sister organization. There's been, you know, m- uh, money exchanging hands between the national group to the state group. And they share so many of the key, uh, you know, principles of family, traditional family values and, you know, fairness in women's sports, uh, you know, all of these things, locker rooms. It's, it's one of those things where it's, you know, I, I think that in the strictest, strictest sense, PA family might not be a chapter of the Family Research Council, but, you know, they're, they are affiliated at the very least. Yeah, I remember, you know, uh, we always used to say I used to live in D.C. and um, and, you know, there's all, you know, as especially as, a, as an adjunct instructor at the time. Right. So you always looked around for where the good places were to go for uh, free food for happy hours. Right. <laughs> and one of the things that, uh, you know, we come away from some of these uh, um, from some of these kind of events going on is that you begin to notice over time is like, look, there's this organization and this organization and this organization. And they're all after the same thing. There's nothing on paper that says this is directly linking them to here. But guess what? They're all at the same cocktail parties, <laughs> right? You know, and whether we're talking figuratively or kind of, you know, in, in practice, that's another thing. But they're definitely, I mean, I love the way you put it. They're on the, they're, they're, they're going down the same path and they're doing it together, whether or not they actually uh, are, you know, taking the time to sign each other's autographs. Yeah. That's a different story. But yeah, they might not be in the same car, but. Yeah, right, exactly. They're on the same road and they're going to the same destination. Um, well, good. It's like, so if we're looking at it at this point, then, I mean, if you had to pull out, we've ta- kind of gone over this, uh, like, I think touched upon this already, but if there's some aspects of this reporting that you think are in particular important for the community to pay attention to, what are some of those things that you might pull out? And then, then we could talk a little bit about um, where this goes from here. Well, I think... Um... Uh, no, you know, I, I think I've, I've covered just about all of it. Now I'm, I'm trying to think back there. Uh, I think you know, really, the community's response, especially in Central Bucks, I think the community is already very engaged with everything. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I don't think um, I, I, I think there'll be. I'll say this. At this point, I think it's on the readers to tell us what, you know, what they're getting from it and what they need to know more about, I think. It's a great way to put it. Well, you know, uh, this, I have to say, this also doesn't seem like uh, this is a story that is over, <laughs> no. that uh, we're heading into an, inch, we're heading into an, uh, you know, obviously we have uh, municipal and school board elections coming up in this fall. Um, so, uh, I mean, again, I'm not asking you to kind of uh, like, you know, I don't know, spoil a scoop or something like that. But, you know, are there areas and kind of directions that you're you're focused on now that you kind of see that you're going to be tracking in the upcoming stories? Well, there are, um, of course, there are, there are a couple of things that are too early to get into right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can say that as of today, um, well, as of last week, I should say, um, we are currently fighting an appeal um, in Pencrest School District uh, situation out there whenever we requested the ILC emails what happened was they 
uh, they gave us back these two emails. One of the documents uh, in one of the board members, uh, David Valeski, said, basically, I've been talking to th this, this organization for a while. They've forwarded me a bunch of stuff. Maybe they could help us while we're out of solicitor. And to that, we responded to the district saying, hey, it sounds like this board member has other emails. Why didn't we get that? And the district responded by saying, you have everything we, we, we have. And mm -hmm. so we went back again and said, okay, okay, okay. But did you ask them to search their personal email addresses for, you know, everything? And they responded again, we gave you everything we have. So we fought that in the Office of Open Records. Uh, we won that appeal. Uh, and now the school district is uh, taking us to court in the uh, Crawford County Court of Common Pleas. Uh, and that is that is just beginning right now. So eventually we will have more to report out of Pencrest, I think. Um, it's hard to say exactly how long that'll take. Uh, I am, as of right now, um, and I hope to have this done pretty close to after the Moms for Liberty Summit, uh, but I am working on a story about the growing counter-movement to Moms for Liberty. Uh, after a couple of months of trying to uh, get somebody from Moms for Liberty, because I was really fascinated to, I wanted to know more about how these these moms joined the group um, beyond just the summary of everybody was enraged by, pan right. by the pandemic. I, I want to know who they were before that, but we just, you know, we couldn't organize any interviews. We just couldn't get there. And so as I was doing that, I started to talk to more people from groups like Stop Moms for Liberty um, across the state, a few people that are you know, from the Central Bucks area uh, that we know well. And I heard this common theme, which actually kind of mirrored uh, Moms for Liberty people who have you know, heard at, in public meetings where they basically the story was I, I didn't I used to not pay attention to the school board meetings until I heard about this thing. And now I've got to go every school board meeting because I'm blown away by all of this. And now I'm involved uh, and, and, you know, very similar fashion to moms for Liberty. That's kind of how they started. Uh, but you know, there's this now growing counter movement of, you know, national groups splitting off into state chapters. And one of the things I'm going to explore in that story, not to give everything away, but um, one of the things I find most fascinating is that Moms for Liberty is a group that, while somewhat ironically saying we don't co-parent with the government, is focused on shaping policy, getting board members Sorry. in to become the government so that they can protect their children, whereas the counter-movement is, if, if Moms for Liberty is at the dais of the school board meeting, then the counter-movement's at the door, and they're getting people as they come in saying, hey, this this is what's happening. And that's kind of this this push and pull that I find really, really fascinating between these two movements. But we'll have more on that hopefully sometime next week. Oh, I'm looking forward to that so much. Um, well, Chris, uh, I'll just uh, leave it to, uh, let's see, who read it? Who said this right here? I'll leave us with this one. Uh, Darren basically says, Ullery deserves an award for his journalism on the ILC 100%. So uh, I think that's a, just a little bit of a sense of what your reporting has meant to the community. So I really appreciate, you know, again, 
you're taking time out of your really busy schedule um, to be here. And but, you know, most importantly for the work um, that you're doing with Bethany, Bethany Rogers, too, as well as helping all of us um, kind of understand what's happening in our communities and what's happening in our school board. So I appreciate your work and thank you for being here tonight. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. And uh, of course, the best way to support us is to get a subscription. Uh, we have, you know, York Daily Record, Philly Burbs, Go Erie, Times Online. was <laughs> about 13 papers on the USA Today network. Subscribe so we can keep doing this work. I can't tell you. Look, and that might be a physical, a physical subscription. That could be a digital subscription. Like, I mean, it's really important. I mean, I've had this discussion with so many folks that are working, are are you know working in journalism. Whether it's someone like me who's kind of like dependent upon the journalism, right, to help kind of move this stuff. Other folks in the community that are doing this. It is the local papers that have been so decimated over the over the last several decades um, that uh, you know we've got to really solve this problem because uh, we lose the journalists, we lose their papers, then we lose access to the kind of critical information in our democracy. So. Um, I'm glad you ended with that one. So it's a perfect way to close it out. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Chris, remember you can also uh, kind of follow Chris uh, on Twitter. Just make sure you check him out at, let's see, at Ullery at Intel. That's U-L-L-E-R-Y at A-T-I-N-T-E-L-L. -L. You can find that directly in tonight's show notes too as well. You click on it and follow him, follow all the reporting. And yeah, get that subscription in there and help support kind of our local papers that are kind of helping all of us uh, understand what's happening in our communities. Uh, thanks so much, Chris. And man, we're looking forward to that next report um, for next week. So take care. Thank you. All right, everybody. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Woo, that was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, as we know, this is the kind of thing that is being absolutely decimating our community. But as Chris left us on a fairly hopeful note, there's organizing coming back. So let's keep up the work. See ya!